there, this is Jen Wade, part of the core team here at Springs Church. We just want to say thank you so much for joining us and listening to our podcast. We are praying that it encourages you and it inspires you. And if you'd like to find out more about Springs Church, please visit our website, springschurch.co.uk. Here's today's message. I'm really conscious, uh, I wasn't actually down to preach today. Uh, I've got a message that I wanted to share. And uh, I'm really conscious that we are still really in the Easter period. And uh, what I wanted to, to do was to not move away from Easter too quickly. I think sometimes in our modern societies, we, we kind of celebrate some, you know, we move on to the next thing and the next thing. It's, it's so easy uh, to live life at a breakneck pace. And actually, I just wanted to take a little bit more time uh, as a church today. I thought it was really appropriate for us to just rein back in, uh, not be looking too far forward, but to actually just celebrate the fact that we are still totally in uh, the Easter period. And uh, as you can see from uh, from the slide, uh, what I want us to look at today uh, are three life-changing encounters with Jesus that three people had. Uh, I was thinking uh, about this, and actually thinking, you know, if I was planning uh, to be resurrected and to make some post-resurrection appearances, I don't think I'd have done it at all in the way that Jesus chose to do it. You know, I, I think I'd probably go big. So what about appearing at the Colosseum in front of Caesar? That, that, would, that would be great, wouldn't it? Or, or at least saying, well, i tell you what, I'm going to really put that Pontius Pilate in his place. I'm going to reappear at his palace. You know, that, that would be pretty cool, wouldn't it? Or at the very, very least, what about those chief priests and, and teachers of the people that have really got in for me? I'll come back at the temple. At the very least, I'll come back at the temple. Now, Jesus didn't do anything at all like that. There were, the Bible tells us that there was a 50-day period between Jesus' uh, resurrection and his ascension, and during those 50 days, Jesus didn't take the opportunity to prove himself to the world at all. That's not what these uh, post-resurrection appearances of Jesus were about. It wasn't about Jesus proving himself to the world, but Jesus spent those 50 days actually strengthening the belief of his followers. That's what he did. They were a really odd bunch of people. We've probably heard many messages about the, the ragtag group of people that followed Jesus. It, it's thought that, that quite a few of the disciples were probably in their late teens. They weren't kind of grown adult men when they first encountered Jesus. Uh, and, and the people that he gathered were, were not the leaders, not the, the go-getters, not the, the, the trendsetters of society. They were actually the opposites. They were the people on the the outskirts of society, those were the people that he concentrated on in his earthly ministry. And he spent these 50 days appearing to them uh, and strengthening them and encouraging them. I'm sure that, that, that whenever he appeared physically, they were absolutely overjoyed to see Jesus. I'm sure that was the case. But probably when he wasn't there physically, they were still quite bewildered and frightened and uncertain and fearful and not really understanding, other than this amazing miracle had occurred, what it meant for them. 
And some of them had some really big issues to deal with. Uh, and I'm really going back today uh, to my, uh, my Methodist teaching as a preacher. Just go on the next slide, please, sir. Because we're going to look at three people. I'm sure you'll be able to guess who these people are. But one was despairing, one was doubting, and one was disgraced. You come on, three Ds. It can't, you know, it can't be too difficult for you to remember those today. All of these people, not one of them was condemned by Jesus. They were all totally restored. So we're going to look at three encounters, three people that you all know had with Jesus this afternoon. Next slide, please, tell me. The first one is Mary, Mary Magdalene. You can see there uh, a picture of Mary and Jesus. What I want to do, because we know the story so well, I want us to just spend, before we read God's Word, I want us just to spend a moment uh, in our mind's eye trying to reset that scene, just trying to think again what it might have been like that very first Easter morning. So, the scene is this, it's early in the day. It's probably just before the sun's rising. Some of us that walked up Barrow Hill last Sunday morning were there when it was really quite dark and gloomy, and we walked up the hill and the sun started to rise. It was like that. In my mind's eye, I think it was probably dew on the ground. There was probably a bit of early morning mist. Probably the birds were just beginning to awake, so there was some bird song. It was damp underfoot as Mary made her way there. And she gets to this garden, which is probably really, literally deadly quiet. There's a dead body there. And it's probably quite quiet and quite eerie. It might be peaceful as well. But this is the scene that we've set. And now we'll just read the scriptures from John's Gospel about this encounter that Mary had with Jesus. Jesus said to Mary, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus just said to the Mary, she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord and that he had said these things to her. So this first lady that, that we met, that we're going to look at, that met with Jesus, was Mary Magdalene. She was a woman absolutely crippled by grief and despair that, that Sunday morning. It wasn't a pleasant thing that she was going to do. She was going to prepare and to anoint the body of Jesus. Now, when we read what had happened to Jesus' body, this was going to be a pretty hideous task. This was going to be anointing a body that had been broken and had been viciously abused. It was a really gory task that she was stealing herself for. She was desperate. She was despairing because she loved Jesus so much. We sometimes hear 
many of you have uh, seen the dead body, body perhaps even gone to the, uh, the parlour at the undertakers and, and seen the body of somebody you love. But the one time when they actually don't recommend it's a good thing it, it, is when the person has been really killed quite violently, perhaps in an accident or had their life taken away. It's sometimes not very cathartic to see someone you love's body when it's been quite as badly abused. But that was where Mary was. I'm just painting this picture for you to try and see just how absolutely despairing she was. This was not a pleasant task that she was doing. It's interesting that Jesus chose to appear. The very first person he chose to appear to was a woman. Because in those days, I'm sad to say, women were not actually regarded as reliable witnesses. That, that their word didn't count much in that society, unfortunately. But Jesus chose to appear to Mary Magdalene, not a member of his family, not even one of the 11 disciples that were left. It was Mary that he entrusted to carry the good news. In fact, when you think about it, Mary was the person who carried the good news to the people who would carry the good news to the world. Mary is sometimes known as the Apostles. Apostle? Isn't that cool? Mary was sometimes, and there's a Latin word for it which I won't go into, but Mary is sometimes referred as the Apostles' Apostle because she got to be the very first person to actually tell the Gospel to anybody. He is risen. But just digging down into the story just a little bit more, we know that when Mary came to the garden, she was weeping, and she was weeping so much that her eyesight was bleary and blurred, and, and she mistook Jesus for a gardener. She couldn't see him. There's a saying, which is this, sometimes we don't see things for what they are, but we see things for who we are. Let me just repeat that. We do not see things as they are. We see them as we are. In other words, we can be so wrapped up in our own situations, whether it's grief, whether it's fear, whether it's despair, or actually even whether it's joy and excitement, we can be so wrapped up in ourselves that we don't see things for really what they are. We see them for who and what we are. So I wonder, this afternoon, in what ways is our past despair, our hurt, our grief, our damage from other churches that we were members of, possibly our damage from other religions and practices that we've been involved in in the past, what dashed expectations we've had, what plans we've had that we've made that have, have fallen foul, what, what we were hoping that we'd make of our lives that we've had. How are these things obscuring our vision for what Jesus is actually wanting to do with us and through us? How are these things obscuring us and stopping us from seeing what God is actually doing amongst us at the moment? Are we so inward looking that we don't see what God is all about. If you relate to that in any way, if you've been so self-centred that you feel it's almost as if you've had scales over your eyes, that the cries have blurred your vision, 
Listen to this. Jesus said one word to Mary. And that word was a word she heard countless times every day. All of us today, I'm sure, have been called by our names at some stage. Jesus just called her Mary. She'd heard it so many times, but this was different. Was it the, the intonation in his voice? Was it a pet nickname that he perhaps had for her? Did, did he call her something that, that was special? What was it that made her recognize that it wasn't a God and it was Jesus when she heard just that one word? I don't know. But what I do know is this. If you are going through times of despair, just one word from God can put that right for you. Just hearing one word from God can deal with all of the stuff that's going on in your life. And with all of these people we're looking at today, the, the encounter with Jesus did nothing but restore and redeem them back into relationship with him. So that's Mary. We're going to go through these fairly quickly. So the next one, when I mentioned doubting, you, you, you knew it was going to be Thomas, didn't you? But again, can we just try and imagine the scene that the Bible reading is going to be set in? This was eight days later. It was, uh, it was eight days later. Uh, we know that the disciples were probably early evening time. And we know that the disciples were gathered in a dark room. Uh, the doors were closed. The shutters were down. So can you imagine sitting in this darkened room, probably with flickering candles or, or flickering oil lamps? Um, the 11 disciples all together, probably some of the other followers of Jesus. Um, but again, Jesus wasn't there, possibly feeling a bit fearful. You know, is the door going to be knocked? Are we going to be arrested? Is somebody going to say, you are that guy's followers? We were still really in this post crucifixion period. I'm sure that they were all concerned. And then most of them really excited because they'd actually encountered the living Jesus as well. So this is what John tells us about this story. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with him when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here, and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen me, and yet have believed. So that's the Bible account of that, that encounter Jesus had with Thomas. Now, Thomas, for the last 2,000 years, has been known as Doubting Thomas. That's quite a big price to pay. It's not the best of nicknames, is it, really? You know, I'm sure that, that some of the other disciples would have, have had better nicknames than that. I actually think that, that, that if you could ask Thomas, he'd probably say, 
for all the good that has come out of my story over the last 2,000 years. I'm actually quite happy to be called Doubting Thomas because I believe Thomas has helped hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people over the last 2,000 years. But, but when I've heard messages, in fact, I think I've possibly spoken about this myself here in the hall, in the past, I've, I've considered that actually, well, Thomas shouldn't be called Doubting Thomas. Perhaps he should be called um, Sensible Thomas or Logical Thomas or pragmatic Thomas, because I, I've actually thought, well actually, if somebody has, has come, despite all the miracles you've seen Jesus perform, if somebody's come back from the dead and you haven't heard it, isn't it a logical thing to say, unless I've seen it for myself, I'm not going to believe it. That's, in one sense, is a logical uh, thing to believe. But actually, as I've prepared this message for this year, I've looked at it through a slightly different angle. I just want to explain this to you, and it goes back to the first line, uh, the first sentence of our reading, where it says this, Thomas was not with them when Jesus appeared. Now, we don't know why Thomas wasn't there eight days earlier. We just know he wasn't there. And he got a really good reason. Was it, guys, I know you're meeting today, but I've got some really bad stuff going on in my family. I've got some stuff to sort out. Was it, um, you know, I've got no money, and I've got to go out and earn some, earn some money somehow. I've got something like that to do. Was it that he'd got other things to do? Was it that he overslept? Was it that he actually didn't really fancy anyone out with his mates that day? He'd just gone through so much. The last thing he wanted to do after Good Friday and the crucifixion was to go back to that gang of people he hung out with who'd just been so disappointed. We don't know why he wasn't there. All we know is he wasn't there. But regardless of his motives, whether he got a good reason or a bad reason or no reason at all, I am absolutely convinced, as I've thought about this, that Thomas was gutted. He was mortified that he wasn't actually there. And how do you think it made him feel when his mates told him this crazy story that they met with Jesus? Rather than feeling overjoyed, I'm sure that he felt overlooked. I'm sure he felt bypassed, rejected, forgotten. Why is it always me that misses out when these amazing things happen? Perhaps there have been some other miracles he hadn't experienced, I don't know. So although his response was absolutely pretty prickly, you know, I tell you what, unless I can stick finger in the, in the very hole in his hand. I'm not going to believe. Do you think that was not just a, a rational or an intellectual objection? Do you actually think he perhaps actually masked out? Because he'd missed out. It was very much an emotional reaction rather than a logical reaction. I think it possibly could have been. But he was so badly hurt that he'd let out. I'm not going to believe that because he was so hurt that he couldn't actually face the consequences of having missed out. And it made me realise that perhaps when we encounter people that have lots of intellectual objections to the Christian story, when they come up, they're perhaps prepared to engage with us and, and talk about things of God, but they've got question after question. Perhaps we need sometimes to dig a bit deeper and realise 
that all of those objections could actually be masking a really broken and hurt person. I remember on one of the first alpha courses we ran um, at, uh, at the, uh, the Dudley Arms, uh, there were a couple there uh, that one day said to me, they were going for alpha, they were doing it, they said, John, we've got a lot of questions that we'd really like you to answer. Uh, do you, could you pop around one evening? I thought, this is a great opportunity. When I got to their house that Friday evening, I'll never forget, they had 50-5-0 questions written down <laughs> that they wanted me to answer. So, of course, I answered everyone perfectly. No, I didn't. I answered half a dozen of them. And, and I knew some of the other answers. And, and some of the stuff I didn't know or have a clue about at all. And I just trusted that God had helped me kind of bluff my way and black my way through it, as he always does. But I realised that if I had been able to answer every one of those 50 questions to the very best of my ability <coughs> and to their total satisfaction, do you know what? They'd have had another 50 questions. And I, to this day, do not know whether they were just intellectual questions and whether this the guy in particular was just a man that loved intellectual arguments. But I now question, I wonder if he was masking his true feelings, whether actually he was a hurt, broken person, more hurt and more broken than I realised. And I got frustrated really that night. I thought, I'm not going to get away till midnight. I've got all these questions to answer, surely. And I started talking to him about, you know, it's not just questions being answered, it's about having a leap of faith. All of the stuff, I couldn't get through to him. But I do wonder now, was it masking something else? I don't know. What about us? Put your hand up if you've never had a doubt about your faith. I didn't think you would. I didn't think you would. We've all had doubts, of course, and that's one way that we can relate to Thomas. But also, can we relate to Thomas, perhaps, when we've seen Jesus blessing other people in ways that he hasn't quite blessed us yet? Perhaps there are some gifts that you've really longed for, and, and you've seen... Jesus give these gifts to other people and you've asked for them and, and as yet you've not received them, I don't know. Perhaps you've seen people become Christians and you've been a Christian a long time and somebody's just become a Christian and before you know it, they seem to be more advanced in their faith than you. They seem to, to find sharing the gospel much easier than you've ever done uh, and their enthusiasm, rather than inspiring you, actually kind of puts you to shame a bit and, and their enthusiasm, rather than inspiring you, makes you feel a bit jealous, you know, a bit, I wish that were me. Perhaps even as a church, you know, we can see God blessing other congregations in, in ways that he's not blessing us, and we can just feel a little bit, well, why is God doing that for us? I don't know. What I do know is this, Jesus repeated Thomas's pretty gruesome words to him, didn't he? He actually kind of said, all right, I said you wanted to do it. Here you go, boy. You get on and do it. Stick your finger in there. See what you think of that. <laughs> he didn't do that as a reprimand. I really don't think it was to make Thomas feel that big. That was not the point at all. What Jesus was saying was this. He was saying, I heard you when you thought I didn't care. I was present with you when you thought I was absent. That's what Jesus was saying. That's what he was demonstrating to Thomas. And Thomas believes that Jesus is there, not just because he sees him, 
not just because he could do what he wanted to do, which I don't for one minute think he actually did, although that painting a minute ago showed I don't think he did it, I just think he fell on his knees and worshipped. But G Thomas believed because he now knows that he was seen when Thomas himself couldn't see, that he was heard when Thomas himself couldn't hear, that he was known by God when he felt bypassed and forgotten. That was the power of what Jesus did to him. Perhaps some of us here can look back on times of difficulty or hardship or grief and feel now that at the time we felt abandoned, we now can look back and know that the Lord was there with us every step of the day, even though it didn't feel like it at the time. I know there are people in this congregation today that are going through these things, and actually you may feel abandoned, and it might not be until the future that you realise that God was actually there. But what I want to assure you today, if you feel like that, I've got one word for you. God's message is never, it is never, hang on, grit your teeth, I'll be there in a while. It's never wait there and suffer and I'll turn up in a little while. It's never, ever, ever that. It's always, I can see you when you don't see me. It's always, I hear you even though you're not hearing from me. It's always, I believe in you more than you believe in me. In fact, I believe in you more than you believe in yourself. That is the message that Jesus gives us through Thomas. It's a wonderful, wonderful thing to encounter Jesus. And actually, when you are at your wit's end, this sounds a bit kind of Victorian, but it's so true. Encountering the wounds of Jesus always brings salvation. Okay, let's move on, guys. I'm conscious of time, but I hope you're still with me. Uh, the last one we're going to look at, this is slightly shorter, is going to be Peter, okay? Uh, and again, that's a great picture, I think, of Peter and the other disciples. And I want you just, for a moment, to just imagine this scene. It's early morning again. But I think, to, I, this is just me, you might put it. I don't think it was a morning, like the Easter morning, where it was a bit cool and misty and the sun was rising. I kind of imagine this a little bit later in the day. And, and I think the warmth of the sun is coming through by the time of this encounter. We're on a beach, as you can see. Um, there's, a, there's a smell of bread cooking. Wonderful. There's a smell of fish, fresh fish being cooked. And you're actually starving, hungry. And you know what it's like in the morning when you're starving and you can smell breakfast. I mean, I have to say, if you walk through Gornall fairly early, you'll normally smell bacon sandwiches in the air, Mrs. B's or the cafe. And I tell you what, if you're a bit peckish in the morning, that's the smell. It's that type of smell, but this is fresh bread, fresh fish cooking. The waves are lapping on the beach. But there's one man there who's standing there and his clothes are soaking wet because they've just had this miraculous catch of fish. And Peter has leapt out of the boat and swum to the shore because he can't wait to get to Jesus. So this is the, that's the picture. And this is the scripture. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish as well. Now this was the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, 
Son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said, Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, Son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, Son of John, do you love me? Now Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? So Peter said to Jesus, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Be my sheep. So to kind of get my theme of the three D's going, I believed that Peter was actually disgraced that morning. We all know that he denied Jesus just two or three days before. And he would be feeling ashamed and guilty. The day he was hardly able to look Jesus in the eye. That's the first of Jones. We were talking about not looking in the eye uh, just before he came to the church. And people feeling guilty and they don't look you in the eye. And I'm convinced that although Peter swam to shore, I'm absolutely convinced he couldn't look Jesus quite in the eye at that stage. Jesus met Peter in his sweet spot. Peter had been a fisherman since he was a young man. He didn't have a great deal of schooling. He didn't kind of leave school at 18 with A-levels or go on to university. Peter probably had a couple of elementary years sleeping. He'd been a fisherman since he was a young lad. And he knew about fishing. And Jesus came into Peter's real everyday life to confront him and very often when we've done things that we are ashamed about when we've done things that we feel guilty about when we feel disgraced it's very often that Jesus actually meets us when we're in our comfort zone I don't know where it might be it could be while you're doing the washing up it could be while you're down in shops it could be while you're driving a car it could be while you're at work it could be while you're with your family and all of a sudden something will begin to prick your conscience and you'll be aware that there's stuff that's wrong in your life. And Jesus is just gently beginning to put his finger on it. We know that the three denials that Peter uh, gave of Jesus were confronted with three questions. Three questions that dug straight to the heart of the matter. When Jesus was dealing with this aspect of sin, that's what it was in Peter's life, he didn't do what we do. He didn't sit him down uh, and, and say to him, look Peter, I know you were really scared uh, the other night. Now what we're going to do is going to work out what that fear looked like and we're going to work out how in the future, when you're in another fearful encounter, that you'll deal with things differently. He didn't try and give Peter a coping strategy to deal with his issues. He didn't say to him, look, we'll get some counselling, we'll, we'll send you on, a, on a, an empowerment course and we'll make sure that you're bolder in the future. He didn't do that at all. He didn't say to Peter, Peter, look, how are you going to make sure in your life that you are not going to do this again? How can we work through this? How can, how can we give you some new coping skills and strategies? He didn't do that at all. He just asked him the most simple questions. Do you love me? I don't know if, if you like me, but when you... When you let God down, when you sin, when you do something wrong, I, I kind of have two things that I tend to, it's my default way of dealing with it. The first one is this, if I've done something wrong, I try and fix it. You know, that, that's probably 
a good thing. If I've, if I've let God down, I've got to try and promise that I won't do it again in the future. You ever done that? You ever said, Lord, I'm so sorry, I'll, I'll really do my best not to do that again. And then very often, the next day, you're doing the same thing again. Or if you've hurt somebody else, you know, you try and put things right, and if you've let God down, it's, it's a strategy that we all have. We have a feeling that we've got to fix our sin. We don't have to do that, obviously. That's not what God wants us to do. He doesn't want us to sin again, but we don't have to fix it ourselves. The other thing that we do is that sometimes we, and I'm guilty of this, you know, I've, I've done something wrong, and I feel that I've got to confess that sin to God, so I do it really, really quickly. And I hope that he'll sweep it under the carpet, you know, that he'll deal with it. I'm relying on that verse in the Bible where it says, as far as the east is from the west, that's how far your sin is removed from you. So I'll, I'll say a quick prayer of repentance and hope that it's all dealt with and hope that God's kind of dealt with it really, really quickly. Unfortunately, when we read this story of Peter, sometimes when God deals with our sin, it needs to take a bit of time. We can't move on too quickly. Sometimes forgiveness starts with confession and also acceptance and, and spending a bit of time thinking about what, what we've done. And that's a really, really painful place to be in. But perhaps when we sin, really all God wants to ask of us is to say, well, look, I know that, but do you still love me? Do you love me? And if you start from the point of love, that's where forgiveness really begins to, to come out. We live in a society, have you, have you heard today, that the way that society deals with things that are wrong, um, we, we live in what's known as cancel culture. Have you heard that expression, cancel culture? What it means is this, I've got an example, it's, it's not the best one, and uh, I've got to be careful around this, but I, I think it kind of helps illustrate it. J.K. Rowling, the, the writer of the Harry Potter books, has been, uh, over the last few years, has spoken out a lot for women's rights, and she's spoken out a lot about kind of biological women, and she's spoken against transgender things, and she's spoken about safe spaces for biological women, and it's not come down very well in our current society. And in fact, as a result of what J.K. Rowling has said, and I'm not saying right or wrong, I'm just telling you the facts, this is what she's done, she's been cancelled a lot. There are certain events that she's not been invited to because of her beliefs and because of the statements that she said. Quite a few of the, the Harry Potter actors have disassociated themselves from J.K. Rowling because of some of the comments that she said. And, and society does actually nowadays seem to have this way of when we deal with, with something that's quite obviously wrong in our society, the way that people like to have it dealt with is that we just ignore it, we cancel it, and we, and we don't acknowledge it, and we don't give it any credence. God does not deal with us. Jesus does not deal with us in that way. He doesn't cancel sin. He does in one sense. But what Jesus always does, what he always wants to do, is to restore and to redeem us when we have sinned. And sometimes, he gives us a little trigger to remember it. I'm going to finish with this, but I want you to just think about this question. How do you think Peter felt for the rest of his earthly life when he smelt fish cooking? 
What do you think he felt? Do you think he could? I'm sure he didn't turn his stomach into a fisherman. I'm sure he enjoyed eating fish for the rest of his life. But I wonder, and this is perhaps a bit airy fairy, but I still think it's relevant. Do you think almost every time in the future, as Peter smelt fish cooking, he actually whispered, Lord, you know I love you. And I think there may be times, that doesn't mean that God hasn't forgiven him his sin, it doesn't mean, and sometimes the enemy will remind us of past sins when God's dealt with them, and actually they're meant to be put away and forgotten. But there might be times when we look back on our lives and we, we, we're reminded of something and we're pretty ashamed of that all that God is saying to us at that time is all you need to do is to whisper, Lord, you know everything. You know I love you. And that's all that's needed to continue with our restoration and with our redemption. So I'm going to wrap up with that. Um, I do want to pray that uh, I've come quite a lot this evening, I know. Uh, but I feel that, that some response is required. I know there's been some ministry time already, so I'm not going to prolong this. Um, but I just want to pray for, for people that might relate to any of these three examples this evening, and then we'll, we'll hand over back to the panel. Okay, so let's just um, adopt an attitude of prayer, whatever that may be. So to start with, if you relate a little bit to that story of Mary Magdalene, and, and you're feeling pretty desperate, you're feeling overburdened by grief and, and pain in your life, Perhaps your eyes have been blurred by what you're going through. I just pray right now, Father God, for anyone in that situation, that you will bring new clarity. For people struggling to see you working, that you will reveal yourself even more to them. That you will bring new hope and new expectation to people who are Perhaps you're related to Thomas and you've actually got doubts about your faith. You, you, you may be struggling with certain things. Uh, I just want to encourage you because in the passage that we read, Jesus ended by saying this. He said, Thomas, you know, you believe because you've seen me. But then Jesus said this, blessed are those who have not yet seen, yet they believe. That's us. Folks, that is us. We are in that category. And tonight, if you have any doubts, I just simply want to pray, Father, help us to claim the blessing that Jesus promised that those who have not seen it believe we're especially blessed. And that relates to each and every one of us. And we claim that blessing. And Father, we pray that, that our doubts uh, and our fear of missing out will be dealt with by the wonderful power of your Holy Spirit. And, and finally, if, if there are issues in your life this evening where you know that things are not being right between you and God, and it's actually because of stuff you've been involved in, whether it's things you've thought, whether it's things you've said, whether it's things that you've done, you know do feel ashamed of God's presence. I just want to speak over you restoration and redemption, not because I can do it, not because there's anything special in my voice, but in the words of Scripture, there, there 
there is now no condemnation for those who speak in Jesus Christ. So today, if you need to put yourself right with God again, claim that salvation, claim that forgiveness, claim that redemption, and be restored. And lastly, if anyone here has just been having encounters with Jesus and feels, oh, it's all well over, but I don't even know if I've encountered Jesus for myself, now is simply the time to encounter Jesus for yourself for the first time, perhaps. So I just want to say a prayer, and I'd just like you to pray quietly in your own heart with me if you want to encounter Jesus in reality. Dear Lord Jesus, I thank you for the Easter story. I thank you for your death and your resurrection. Come on, Mr. Lord. I don't know whether I've encountered you in the past, but somehow today I just feel like I'm encountering you and you in a new way. I give my life to you. I ask that I will be different. Help me to become your follower. Help me to be full of your spirit. Help me to walk with you for the rest of the days of my life. Fill me right now with your Holy Spirit. May I go from here and change things. In Jesus' name. Thanks again for listening. To hear more of our messages, make sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel and our podcast channel for past preachers. If you feel like you got something out of today's message, why not share it with your friends and spread the good news of Jesus? We are praying for you. We love you. So please, if you need anything at all, check out springschurch.co.uk. God bless.